From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. Two high school students were arrested for terroristic threatening in the second degree yesterday. Here's Lieutenant Craig Campbell with that report. On November 2nd, 2022, at about 4.39 p.m., the Juneau Police Department received a report from JDHS staff regarding a string of text, social media messages involving a 16-year-old male student from JDHS that alluded towards violence. It was reported to JPD that the student had also recently been involved in a physical altercation at the school and was suspended earlier this week. Working with the school, JPD contacted the 16-year-old male student who was believed to be responsible for the threatening messages and made a safety plan. On November 3rd, 2022, J.P. learned that the 16-year-old male had been communicating with a 17-year-old male student from the Thunder Mountain High School. It is alleged that the two students communicated about a plan to commit acts of violence towards a group of students from JDHS. Both the 16-year-old and the 17-year-old male have been placed under arrest for terroristic threatening in the second degree, a Class C felony. The charges of terroristic threatening in the second degree are due to making a threat that a circumstance dangerous to human life or property exists or is about to exist with reckless disregard that the threat may place a person in reasonable fear of serious physical injury by a dangerous instrument. Juno Police Lieutenant Craig Campbell. More eyes will be on Juno docks and harbors. Harbormaster Matt Creswell talked about the effort to get more security cameras at Juno facilities while a guest on Action Line. This time a year ago, we were able to create a new position for a nighttime security officer, and uh, that individual has done an outstanding job of of being in the harbors through the night, uh, monitoring and reporting and, and taking care of security issues through the night. And another tool for him will be the increased number of security cameras that we're currently installing throughout the harbors. Creswell talked about the considerations in placing more cameras. It seems simple to everybody, just put cameras up and be able to monitor them, but when you're starting to talk about getting cameras down on the floats that are wirelessly connected and a rising and falling tide with large boats that come in and block uh, radio shots back to the receiver, it's a... Uh, and plus positioning. And positioning, and it takes a lot of a lot of planning to get cameras. You can put cameras anywhere, but to get them in the right spots to capture what you're hoping to capture is, is the big challenge, and... Uh, Myself, I didn't. I, I never really thought about how how hard it could be to think through all the possibilities and actually put the camera somewhere where they'll be of use. But I'm happy to say we're making lots of progress on it, and uh, we we are we have increased our cameras, you know, fivefold since over the last few years. A tourism visitor traffic report was hosted by the Alaska Department of Labor. Michelle Drenker, research director in destination analysis at the department, said the state has held steady for the past three years. Currently, I have some uh, domestic U.S. uh, traveler data looking at interest in visiting Alaska and actual travel intentions. So around uh, one in 10 U.S. travelers say that they are interested in visiting Alaska in the next three years, so 15% of Americans. And this percentage has been flat year over year. Um, It hasn't really increased. So it's difficult to say what we're looking for, looking at in um, the next few years ahead, but at least um, the positive news is that it's staying steady. In terms of where Alaska falls in its competitive set, we from a cruise market perspective, we're considering Hawaii and Puerto Rico to kind of be the um, competitors for the cruise market share currently. And we do know that travel interest in Hawaii is a little bit higher for um, long haul 
travel at around 19% of American travelers. So Alaska falls just behind that, but Puerto Rico is below Alaska. So Alaska's kind of somewhere in the middle of its current cruise market competitor set. Um, so it's difficult to say if that interest is going to be increasing over time, but the positive news is that it has held steady for the past three years. Juno Port Director Carl Yucatel spoke to Juno's cruise ship traffic this year. So I can report for Juno, we had 1.167 million passengers that came through Juno this year. And when we analyze it for capacity of, of the ships, the ships sailed at 74% full. And we that 74% is typically what we look at is lower berth count. So most people, when they travel on a cruise ship, they travel in pairs. But it doesn't mean that you can't have more than two people in a room, which could bump it up. But based on just a lower capacity percentage, they sailed in uh, calendar year 22 at 74%. Drenker spoke to the research being conducted. So there's three components of this year's research project, um, three components of the visitor uh, profiling components. So there's an intercept, which is happening year-round uh, inside the state. So we are intercepting visitors on their trip, asking about their behaviors, spend, length of stay, where they're going, et cetera. Um, we are also collecting uh, quarterly a panel, nationally fielded U.S. panel, on past three months travel to Alaska. So that happens at the end of each quarter, and the next wave is going in field actually this week. And then we also have an owned audiences and partner audiences component where uh, ATIA's owned audiences, as well as any partners that choose to sign up, are welcome to send a survey link out to their um, to their subscriber lists. And then we collect past um, year travel to Alaska from those lists. So different components, they're happening year round, either daily or quarterly, depending on the method of data collection. And we are currently analyzing data between May 2022 through the end of August currently. Uh, We will be doing a full half year report on that summer season uh, once that second quarter wraps up here shortly. Yucatel and Dranker made their remarks during an Alaska Department of Labor presentation. Juno Deputy City Manager Robert Barr spoke to a presentation the Assembly Finance Committee received on short-term rentals. It's a presentation that they received from the Juno Economic Development Council on housing, the impacts of short-term rentals on housing, and other sort of factors that influence the housing challenges that we have in Juno. And my biggest takeaway from that presentation was that just like how demographic shift has been impacting us from an employment point of view, you know, it's, it's generally speaking a lot harder for employers to, to fill their jobs kind of across the board, across the industry spectrum right now for a variety of reasons. But one of those reasons is demographic shift. We just, you know, we have fewer younger people, fewer working age people, and more people aging into retirement. So that same phenomenon is influencing our housing market because if you think about it, uh, and they did a great job at presenting the data on this, generally people who are aging into retirement are going to have fewer people in their houses, so they require more housing. And people on the you know working age and, and younger end of the spectrum, if you're if you're a ten year old, you probably don't need to own or own your own house yet, right? Just makes sense. The assembly had approved funding to contract with an entity that could provide a deeper analysis of the number of such rentals in Juno, which is currently estimated at about three hundred to six hundred units. 
As soon as we get, as soon as the contract is signed, we'll, we'll immediately have access to kind of a database portal that we can go poking around in. Um, but really we'll be looking at that, that vendor to do some analysis on our behalf and we'll be bringing it back to either the assembly finance committee or the committee of the whole. I would imagine within two to three months, that's probably the time frame that we'll be targeting. Barr made his remarks on the KINY morning show to News of the North. Statewide races for U.S. Senate, U.S. House, and Governor topped the ticket in Alaska's rank-choice election this year. Division of Elections Director Gail Fanumiai. Well, the good news is, as of this morning, we finally filled the last of our 401 precincts with election workers. So I feel we are ready um, to open polls at 7 a.m. on November 8th. She said the election is being held in person. This election, just like the August 16th primary, is being conducted primarily in person, which means on Election Day from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m., polling places will be open for voters to go vote in person, bring identification to the precinct, show it to the workers. You'll get your ballot. You'll be able to mark it and put it in the scanner, get your I Voted sticker, and be on your way. If voters are not able to make it to the polls on Tuesday, November 8th, there is opportunity still for them to vote early between now and Monday, November 7th. Vote totals reported Tuesday night will include ballots cast in person that day, as well as during early voting from October 24th through the 3rd. Election night, obviously, we will have the precinct results, and then we will be counting um, some early votes as well as some absentee ballots on election night. And again, just releasing unofficial results for first-choice votes only. There is a 10-day deadline to receive absentee ballots mailed from within the U.S. and a 15-day deadline to receive absentee ballots mailed from outside the country. We'll have unofficial results released again on the 23rd. Then We anticipate that the State Review Board will be done with their work by November 29th. So we will have official certified results as soon as the State Review Board concludes their review, which anticipated at this point is November 29th. Races are reviewed November 23rd to determine if candidates received 50% plus one of the vote. If not, rank choice tabulation begins. I do want, want voters to know that between Election Day and November 23rd, we continue to count the remaining early votes, the remaining absentee and question ballots, and we'll continue to produce unofficial results of first-choice votes throughout that 15-day window, as we always have. She explained what candidates need in order to win, as outlined in Ranked Choice Voting. A candidate, um, before our general elections were operated under a plurality, which meant whoever had the most votes win, whether it was by one vote, 300 votes. So whoever had the most votes prior to this system being implemented was declared the winner. The ranked choice voting law states that after first choice votes are counted, if no candidate receives 50% plus one vote, then you need to go into the ranked choice tabulation process. If candidates do receive the 50% plus one vote, then they're declared the, the winner of the race. Division of Elections Director Gail Fanumiai. U.S. Senator Lisa Murkowski says she intends to rank Congresswoman Mary Peltola first in the Alaska general election. 
during the recent Alaska Federation of Natives conference. She was asked after her speech this. After my speech there um, about the the uh, cooperative nature that the the delegation has um, and the reporter observed that it just seems that the, the reporter is actually from Washington, D.C., and uh, uh, they observed that things appeared to be different here, that we there was a collegiality and uh, that Alaskans were just a little more independent-minded. And I affirmed that and said, yes, in fact, that was the case. And, and so the reporter kind of quickly or casually asked, well, so are you going to rank Mary first? And I just just very quickly, without really even thinking about it, said, yeah. Murkowski said her and Peltola had served in the legislature at the same time. I have known Mary Peltola since she and I served in the legislature together. We came in at the same time. We were both um, uh, uh, young mothers uh, of boys at the same time. Her kids were, her boys were younger than mine, but we shared a lot um, uh, just as, as, as friends in the legislature. And we have remained friends over the past 25 years. Um, and so... When I am looking to, uh, to, to my choice, I have to evaluate the values of the candidates and, and what they stand for and see if they represent my values as well. Murkowski made her remarks on Action Line. Curator of public programs Alyssa Borges and Carrie Kirkpatrick, featured solo artist, joined Dano on Capital Chat to talk about the Juno City Museum's exhibit. Borges talked about the upcoming solo exhibit of Kirkpatrick's. We do have First Friday coming up, of course, and our opening reception with Carrie is going to be spectacular. She's got an exhibit called Capturing the Light, and I think it has 32 paintings, Mm -hmm. and it does exactly that. You're going to recognize the places that she's painting around town, and it's just bright, perfect exhibit to experience now that it's getting darker out. Kirkpatrick talked about her artwork. Sometimes I paint outside and sometimes I take photos and bring them back to the studio. But one of the spectacular things about here, Southeast Alaska, is the changing light. And it changes fast, right? (laughs) You better look up or you're going to miss that little bit of blue sky or whatever. But even the cloudy days, you know, looking out here at the low clouds into the snow on the mountain is just have so much personality, so much emotion and energy. Uh, whether it's you know a, a dark snowy day or a bright sunrise or sunset. So trying to capture those moments, make them last. Dr. Walter Soboloff Day is recognized on the 14th. Borges said the month of November honors the late Dr. Soboloff at the, muse- at the City Museum. Basically, Dr. Walter Soboloff was such an important member of our community. He was very influential, and he just embodied values of caring. And he demonstrated that throughout his whole life. People who knew him remember him for from writing note cards, which, you know, nowadays is, is not something many people do anymore. So he would recognize people that maybe needed encouragement. He um, would thank people through written note cards. And it's really in, in that spirit that the museum began this program to honor who he was. Passed away in 2011 at 103 years old. Never miss a story or a newscast at KINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North, this is Kevin Allen.